Hey guys, hope you are keeping well. So before I go into the main part of the episode, I am delighted to announce that the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast has now got a brand new sponsor. I am so happy and so delighted to announce that the name of the sponsor is a company called Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked is all about personal health testing, making health screening open and more patient-led. Let's Get Checked's mission is to make professional health testing easily accessible and ensure that no individual ever puts off a test due to not wanting to or being able to visit a healthcare provider. I can assure you guys that I wouldn't have agreed to this sponsorship if I didn't think it would be making a massive difference. As a fully qualified nutritionist, I always encourage clients and those I work with to get blood work done to make sure everything is functionally optional. So how Let's Get Checked works is you can choose your tests online via the website. So once you head over to tryLGC.com forward slash SWF and it'll be delivered to you in a discreet package with next day delivery. You can activate your test and collect your sample in the morning. Return your sample using the prepaid shipping label provided. Once your sample arrives in the lab, confidential results will be available from your secure online account with two to five working days. Once your results are available, they will be reviewed by a physician. A nurse will then contact you for a consultation over the phone. In some cases, the physician will be available to provide prescriptions in the pharmacy of your choosing. All Let's Get Checked labs are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. Let's Get Checks lets you avoid uncomfortable office visits by providing you with access to home testing and professional medical consultations without ever having to leave your home. It's never been this simple to get tested. So once you head over to tryLGC.com forward slash SWF, you will see a wide range of products. So the products include home wellness test kits where you can check your vitamin D, your vitamin B12, your folate, your iron. You can also check your thyroid. There are also female hormone test kits. There are also a testosterone kit for males as well. It's a wide range of products. They're incredible. And I wouldn't put my name to anything if I didn't think that this was gonna make a massive, massive difference. Oh, at full discretion, there is an affiliate link. So once you are at your cart and you enter in SWF into the code where you can apply your code, you will get a 30% discount off your first time purchase. And at full discretion, I it is an affiliate link. So guys, please head over to follow the links in the write-up and have a look at some of the products. If you have any questions, please feel free to kind of send them on my way. I'd be more than happy to help. So once you head over to TORY lgc.com forward slash swf have a look at some of the products and i hope you enjoy the podcast hey guys and welcome to the next episode of the shane walsh fitness podcast so guys thank you so much for all the support thank you so much for all the messages the listenership has gone through the roof um over kind of lockdown hope everyone's staying safe so this week's guest or today's guest is 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 incredible i'm really really lucky to i probably wouldn't we were talking off air i probably wouldn't have got him if he was in if, if this hadn't happened. Um, so this week's guest is Philly McMahon. Philly is a co-owner of the company NutriQuick, which the meals are incredible, gym owner of B27, author of the award-winning autobiography, The Choice. He is a Ballymun Kickhams and Dublin footballer with the Leinster 11, a Leinster titles, seven All-Irelands, two All-Stars. So Philly, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, no problem at all. How are you holding up in general? Yeah, it's been good. Um, I suppose I've been looking at taking an opportunity from the whole thing. Obviously, um, you know, it's been tough. Um, people have passed away and all the bad stuff that's happened because of it. But I suppose, you know, I'm somebody that has experienced, um, I wouldn't say negative stuff in life, but it certainly would be as class as adversity. And I suppose I've looked at maybe looking at the opportunity that has come from them things and I suppose this is another another occasion to, to try to do that again you know so I suppose the opportunity for me is how do I you know adapt in terms of my career business sport uh, family life and take them learnings from when things go back to normal or will they go back to normal is the question but what is normal I yeah, think exactly. it's there's going to be a new normal, whatever that is. So hopefully that comes across or comes soon, sooner rather than later. Uh, so for anyone that isn't aware of your story, Philly, can you tell us your background and how you got into GAA and how you got into being becoming an entrepreneur and run your own businesses as well? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's. I try I try do it as short <laughs> as possible, but basically, yeah, I grew up in Ballymun, uh, in a community that I love, community that gave me so many, uh, as I said, gifts in life and. Um, at the age of eight or nine, 
I joined Ballywood Kickham Studio A Club. I had a coach in Paddy Christie who was seeing uh, some sort of energy in me, and many people would have seen it as a negative energy in that my brother John struggled with it. Um, and that energy I had of having a loved one in the family home as an addict was, and still is probably today, one of those things that you're embarrassed by. You're, 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 you're educated socially that if somebody you're struggling in your home with addiction, um, that that is a disgusting, horrible thing and it's a criminal act and that you should treat them bad and negatively. So that energy that I had, that embarrassment, I was going into, you know, obviously joined Barry McKick as Paddy brought me in and said, right, all that negative energy, get it out on the pitch now. And I suppose that, that kind of created the style of footballer I became, a kind of a teak and tough type footballer. And that, that stayed with me throughout my whole career, which, which which I'm delighted for because it made me into, you know, the, the Dublin player I am today that would potentially help my team win. And I suppose um, along that journey then, uh, unfortunately, John passed away at the age of 31. I decided that was kind of a kind of a, a point of my life that I call a halftime talk, which basically means that some sort of adversity changed the standards of how I lived. I reflected on life and death, uh, and I suppose I said to myself, I wasn't going to be selfish and not live the life that I could possibly live. John didn't get a chance. I would say, John, you know, he's. I always use the analogy that John was thirty-one when he passed. He got thirty-one minutes in the game. And he got took off, he didn't get a second half, whereas I did. So every day since that I've tried. It's not always been, you know, smooth sailing, but I suppose every day I've tried to get after things and, and to try to achieve things that possibly I was, I never thought I would have achieved or people in my area thought I would have would never achieved because of the social cultures and norms. And... Um, that's that's where I've been since. So so my second half, from my first half was obviously up till John passed away. I, I was living that proactive, sorry, reactive uh, lifestyle, and I was doing quite well. I had you know I never drank, I never smoked, took drugs, committed crime, and they were kind of the social norms going up the valley one. So to I achieved a lot based on them standards up until 2012 when John passed. And I'd won my first All Ireland in 2011. Um, but what I've kind of achieved since that is a real eye opener because sport, obviously, I've been very lucky to be a part of a, a really successful Dublin team and we've achieved a huge amount. But being able to see opportunities like using sport as a, a profile to help others uh, socially, you know, set up a charity called Halftime Talk to help at risk youths and drug addicts, um, all of these things have been gifts, you know. and I suppose getting into the fitness industry was another gift, you know, and that came from another opportunity where I was actually, when I finished, when I first finished college, I'd done a PLC course, um, and that was just to keep the parents happy because they didn't know what, what, I, what I was going to do. I was actually quite young when I finished my leaving cert. I was only gone on 17, my birthday's in September. I went to school a year younger than all the, the kids my age. Um, so I'm up, that were in my year. And... You know, I was I loved school, but I wasn't very academic. And as I said, I, I ticked the box, went on, done a PLC in health-related fitness. Loved it, absolutely loved it in Clashida. Um, it was the perfect thing for me to bridge between work life and school. And went off in my first year, it was a two-year course. In my first year, I got a job in a, in a gym in Malahoyed. But I was absolutely wrecked driving from uh, Finglas, after after doing my lectures and then going straight out to Malahoyed, was just getting too dangerous. So I was a lifeguard at that stage. I was sitting on a pool. It was very warm. So I said, you know what? I was getting on a Dublin 21s at that stage. I need to look at a job close to home. So I started working for uh, Northwood, Ben Dunn Northwood. Uh, a friend got me a job there. And at that that point, I started to get on the, the Dublin senior team. And I went and asked for support uh, in terms of changing shifts and stuff like that to, to train and he wouldn't allow it so he didn't give a shit if it was a Dublin player or not so I went and uh, got a job in DCU in the gym in DCU and for a year I think it was all about maturity I started to mature a lot and I looked around I was around a lot of students I was around a lot of people that I kind of said I could do what you do and the only thing that was stopping me really was me 
So I went and asked for help and I looked at people that from Ballymun had done it before, I looked at Ian Robertson, I'd spoke to Paddy Christie, uh, I'd spoke to Niall Moyne, who's a professor in the sports science uh, faculty and, and yeah, there was nothing stopping me, only me. So at that point I had a car, I had a, I'd got a big loan out and um, my options were wait another year or two to become a mature student and apply then or go back and repeat my leave insert. So I had this car, I had to leave me, I said to myself, I'm going to do this, if I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to do it now, I'm not going to waste any more time. And the only problem I had was I had this car and I had this loan, so I had to give up full-time work. So I said to my parents, I'm going to give it up. They said, look, we'll support you, we'll give you food and everything else. Um, but it just, you know, it was one of those things that I didn't want to over-rely on my parents because they'd given me a lot already. And I went to repeat me leaving safe and I was driving into a school uh, and I had this RDA4 and I'm sure the pupils are going, who is this fella? Like, is he a drug dealer? Is he is he a teacher? Like, you know, he's too young to be a teacher. So, but I was absolutely broke. I was living on two euro a day. Um, I had to, I'd buy a long pan and a packet of ham and I'd make me sandwiches for the week and I'd have that two euro for uh, some, a drink. And I was absolutely broke, but they all thought I was loaded. So perception was crazy, like in that in that aspect. But the reason why I'm telling you what happened there then was because I had to go off and find a way to make money, you know, to buy petrol for my car, to do all the other things that I did at that, that age. And um, a guy came along and asked me to train his team, uh, a team from Sylvester's in Malahide under 12s or 13s team, and. I said, yeah, I will train him, no problem. He said, how much? I said, 60 euro. I think it was 60 euro at the time. And he says, oh, that's grand. Yeah, we'll try it. We've got a gym, we've got space. I said, yeah, of course, yeah. And I didn't. I hadn't anything. So I looked at the attic space in Ballymun Kickums and some of the teams I used, and it was just a, like, there was nothing in it. It was, it was completely empty. Um, had a carp on the floor. Um, the rafters, you could see. And I basically said, well, I'll train him up here. And, you know, some of the senior team were doing a little bit of weights up there at that time. So there were small bits of weights there. So we started training them. So I was earning 60, 60 quid a week and that was keeping me going. And then four or five women seeing I was doing it, they asked me to train them. And then from there to four gyms to then I had to change the business model because the four gyms wasn't, it didn't make sense as a model compared to having one big gym. So... So I have an 8,000 square foot premises now and uh, it's gone through one recession so I'm hoping it'll get through another recession if, if it happens. So that's been the story. Like, yeah, been got, got a lot of gifts, got a lot of, lot of opportunities along along my life. Yeah, I think like the fitness industry isn't the, the easiest industry in the world either from a time committing point of view. It can be a quite tiring industry as well um, and quite cutthroat. But like you've got through one recession so hopefully you'll get through whatever is ahead of us but how did you find the balance between kind of having the football career the business owner and then having a life outside of that because I think that's one thing that a lot of people do struggle with when they were having the kind of previous pre-covid was there was all or nothing approach that they were kind of like being big stress balls not really spending time with their family and now they're spending too much time with their family and they're going a little bit crazy how did you manage to juggle everything well, I suppose at the beginning of the business, I was I was lucky the time frame because I was actually only getting on to the senior team, um, and I was I was able to do a lot of the work myself, um, and I was earning a lot of money because like it's like two thousand and nine or something like that, probably two thousand eight, two thousand nine when I first started up. Like it was, it kind of got this name as the as a boot camp, like you know the first kind of type boot camp in Dublin. Like you know it was crazy. Like we we had. I was only like eighteen or nineteen when it when it first started, like you know. So it was like there was sixty women at six six a.m., seven a.m., and eight a.m. and and men, and it was just huge numbers, absolutely huge numbers. Um, and like everything else, people that were training and that were loving the training that we were given and the attention to detail that I was given, they said, "You know what? I can do what you're doing, Philly." And they start setting up, and then we start losing members because of that. And also the numbers got so big that we lost our personalization. So what I had at the beginning that was was, was amazing uh, changed. So 
the key thing then was that when that started to change that I needed to get help I needed to I needed to understand what business was because I wasn't a, like I ultimately wasn't a business owner at that stage I was a fitness instructor you know um, working for the brands that I was that I created like I wasn't I wasn't a business owner like but I was raking in loads of money like um, and that money didn't last obviously I spent stupidly but the big thing was that um, I either adapted and went into a different market a different industry or changed who I was because it was it was basically dying it was slipping off like you know um, because as I said there was a lot more the gyms, the gym, the fitness industry was becoming saturated. There was a lot of people getting qualified and, and setting up their own gyms and taking their friends that they were in my classes with. Um, so, so what I needed to do was I needed to understand what a business was. And when I went, to got I went actually and got business coaching off a company called Action Coach. They were amazing, absolutely amazing. Completely changed me as a business person. Oh, I went, I went into them on day one. They said to me, "Watch your numbers." And I completely spoofed. I hadn't a clue, and that's hard for somebody to say when you're you had this kind of bravado and you want to be known as someone that knows their stuff when it comes to business. And when you sit down and, and they know, they knew straight away. Hmm, their numbers don't look. You know what's? And I went. Uh, I'm not too sure. I'll have to come back to you with the, you know. And it's and the the, the the guy that was kind of coaching me he says to me, Paul. He says you have to know your numbers like you know it's like playing a football match and not knowing the, the, the score in the game at the end you've got to know your numbers they're the key things like you know so I, I learned a huge amount and another key thing I, so Paul is the owner of Action Coach and then the coach that I was working with is a guy called Stephen um, and this this the big learning I had from working with him was that he was very similar age to me um, and just how good he was as a as a as a coach, I learned a lot from from the coaching aspect, not not even from the business aspect, but from a coaching aspect. But the big one I learned was that a company's not a company or a business unless it's working without you in it. And that was the key thing for me. So I got to a point where I wanted to develop a company, a staff that allowed me to focus on building a company and work on, as you always hear, work on the company instead of working in it. And that allowed me then to have that balance to play football. And balance has been always the key thing for me. It's always been the, the key component of getting all these things right. And it's something that I always kind of completely focus on is just, you know, even even to before the lockdown, my objective was to get into the office, do three things and get out of the office. You know, don't waste time sitting there, you know, procrastinating on certain things. Get in, get your three things done and get out and that'll be I'd probably start work at 11am finish at 4 o'clock every day so that was my key that was my key that's if I was working in the office and then if I'm working on other things so I obviously some some days I do I'll be doing my talks do a lot of corporate talks um, two days a week I work in Mount Joy with the uh, Unfucked program the Unfucked movement so that's a kind of a cultural uh, leadership program that I run in Mount Joy so it's a it's a strange and crazy life I live, but it's something I love doing. How do you find doing the public speaking? Because I started doing corporate gigs, and if you got me to stand up in front of someone when I was in college, it would be a game of air. I wouldn't know what I was saying. How have you yeah. found getting up doing public talks in front of people in general? Because it, it is a difficult thing. Yeah, I was the exact same. Like I mean. I only got I only got asked to do a talk there uh, in a corporate company the other day. In, I think it was a uh, I was Irish Life, and um, I remember doing a, a talk with Irish Life when I first started off. And from where I've how I've developed my public speaking to where I first done that talk, I was just like, my God, they're light years apart. So it's one of those things that you just have to keep you have to keep doing it. Like you know, it's no different to anything in life you want to get good at you have to practice and you have to keep doing it and you have to pick up the good stuff like there's, there's things where I've I've went to talks where I've said stuff and it's been brilliant it's worked really well and people are breaking their shit laughing and uh, 
sometimes you see someone nearly crying and then I went to uh, different companies and I've said the same things and they've they've had no reaction completely so you just got to take it the way it is like you know but I think it's one of those things that you have to just you just have to get over that fear like you know on the other side of that fear like is I had a talk with Brian Penny yesterday he's a guy definitely you should get on he's amazing uh, amazing story um, and in the book I don't know if it's his quote or someone's quote but he says on the other side of fear is where the best things lie like you know um, and he's dead right like so in terms of public speaking once I think you know your stuff the topic that you're speaking about you'll be comfortable if you were to say to somebody get up there and speak about something you don't know you'll fall over and you'll you know but once you go back to and, and people love your love our uh, you know being authentic they love people that are authentic stories and that's worked massively for me that there's very few people in this country that have a story like mine you know where there's a sports person that has come out and spoke about his brother that has had an addiction problem who has passed and has spoken in a way that has you know shone, shone a light on you know the way we should be thinking about these issues um, I think that has been that has been a key thing for me is finding what finding what needs to be said and being real about it yeah I think it, like Irish people can be quite cutting we could be the nicest people in the world but they, they will see through bullshit so if you're not being authentic they will call you out and particularly if you're kind of like higher profile people will call you out for it and how did the whole opportunity come about the whole unfucked program come about so I was actually playing a, a game in, in Parnell Park a club game we were playing uh, semi-final I think of the Dublin Championship with uh, against Vincent's and we got beaten and I was walking off the pitch and all the kids are coming on. They generally run on and get the Dublin players to sign their jerseys and everything else. And a guy jumped over the wall and he was walking towards me and he said to me, uh, I'm Governor Eddie Mullins and uh, I'd love you to come in to Crope uh, to Mount Joy and uh, do a talk for the prisoners. And I said, oh, lovely to meet you, Eddie. Um, but uh, I'm just up to losing the game there. Uh, will you contact me in a couple of weeks? And he says, no problem at all. And he did contact me, and I kind of just thought, like, you know, when he said it to me, you know, initially you kind of go, well, have I got the time to do it? Is it something that you're passionate about? Is it something that you, you know, that you can help people with? Because that's ultimately what it comes down to. When you're spending time away from your company, is it going to make a difference to people? Is it going to be connected to your vision or your purpose in life? And it was. My brother John went through the process of prison, so... Um, for me, when John came out of prison, nothing changed. The prison didn't work for him. You know, prison's meant to be a filter. So if you commit a crime, your liberty is taken away and you're sent to prison and you're meant to be rehabilitated in prison. So when you come back out, that punishment is meant to work. You're not meant to go back to crime. But the problem is the recidivism levels are really high in this country. Uh, people come out and they still commit crime. So the filter is kind of quite broken at the minute. So with that in mind, I said to myself, well, this this um, this guy is doesn't really have to reach out to people to get them to come in to help prisoners. I think this guy is different. Like, you know, he's taken outside the box. His job is security, you know, and to make sure the prison's running and everything else. So I said, I'll go in and do the talk. And I went in and he said, Philly, I don't know how many's going to be here. He says, we'll do the talk in the church. The landings and the cells will all open up and it's optional. If they want to come in, they want to come in. If they don't, they don't. He said, you, you just don't know when you're going to get killed. So I went there, standing on top of the church and everybody started walking in. And I was like, whoa, everybody walked in. It was packed, absolutely packed. Packed with prisoners and it was even packed with prison guards. There was loads of people there. And uh, I was like, oh, geez, this, this is great. Like, you know, brilliant. The more I have, the more I can get this message across. And I had a, a story. I wanted to be as relatable, the, the script to be relatable to them as possible so it hit home with them and that I wasn't just someone that was a sports person coming in talking about football. It was like, yeah, I am a footballer, but when you hear this, my brother was where you were, and this is where I, this is what I want you to be thinking about. So they all walked in, and I went, right, okay, <laughs> something, something changed here. So I started talking, introduced everything, introduced what I was going to do, and then I said to the guys, I said, look, I was going to tell you a specific story, so I can't now, I'm going to have to go off the cuff well, I had a specific story to tell you, and I can't tell you that story because there's five of my mates 
uh, in the story sitting in front of me here right now. So five of my mates I grew up with were sitting in there and it was like two for drug dealing, one for toy kidnapping, one for murder, one for money laundering. Still mates with them, still mates with them, like, you know. Um, guys that made bad choices and were ultimately in prison and, and you know, that was the punishment. So that was how we started it off. And it went down really well to the point where the, the governor went and asked for feedback off the prisoners and stuff like that. And the prisoners came back and were like, can we get them in again? Can we keep getting them in? Like, you know, uh, we got a lot from it. And he asked me to come in and do some fitness stuff, started with some fitness classes to break down that barrier even more. And I was doing the fitness classes in the progression unit, which is where St. Pat's used to be. St. Pat's was a, a child attention centre under 18s and that's now changed that's changed to Oberstown which is out in Swords or out in County, North County Dublin so all the well behaved prisoners are lifers that just want to get on with their time don't know, have a, don't have a destination in terms of when they're getting out they all go up to the progression unit people that come out of detox from the main jail they go up to the progression unit so it's a really good it's, a, it's brilliant it's a brilliant idea it's it's the way forward for prisons. It's basically the new filter, if that makes sense. And it's still broken. It's still not perfect. But you have a horrible place, which is the main main jail, and you have this good place. It's basically, if you want to not come back here, go from here to here, and then when you get out, you have a better chance of not committing crime again. Instead of just going, right, you're in the main jail. As soon as you're finished, get out. And you have nothing to support you when you get out very little to support you, you have more opportunity of actually going back to committing crime than you do of actually not committing crime, right? So that's how crazy it is. As soon as you get out that gate, you'll have the Sunday world taking pictures of you. So no matter how good you've done, no matter what you've done, you will be stigmatised as soon as you get out the gate, which will be harder for you to get jobs, which will be harder for you to get support and go back on that straight and narrow, like, you know, which is crazy to think. So, uh, I was doing classes in the protection units in B&A in the main jail and that is just unbelievable like you just can't picture what that's like it's like they're all walking around stoned because they're all mentally distressed they've got all, all most prisoners have a mental health issue by the way uh, that's probably why they've ended up in there because in my my big thing in terms of getting the message out there is that addiction is a mental health issue so a lot of guys that will go like that guy yesterday Brian Penny he struggled with anxiety when he was a kid and the only thing he got rid of it was heroin you know so that's that shows that it's not a criminal issue it's a it's a mental health issue get to the underlying issue get to the, psycho, the, the psychological need get that guy to fix his anxiety issue and he won't have to take heroin so you've got all these guys in prison this mental health institute um, and now because of feuds because of drug dealing and crime um, they have to go on protection, huge amount on protection now, right? So I just started noticing the different difference in culture, and I went back to the governor and I said, "Look, there's a huge difference in culture here. We need to shine a light on this. This is this is amazing stuff. We need to go. We need to start um, showing these guys how good things are up here and reinforcing the good and the positivity of it. And and I'd like to do a program around it. And they said, "Yeah, go ahead. Like definitely, we'd love that." So I went up and I started spending more time in the progression unit and I developed, uh, I started off with a group and, and it was, uh, the big thing for me was I had five of my mates there. So they were my, they were my um, recruiters, right? So they were going to go, we know Philly, he's a good fella, you know, the stuff he's going to be doing is going to be great for us, let's go and do it. So they were going around sales, getting all the lads and loads doing it, right? So starting off with the fitness and we started doing talks so we started we started to understand each other and getting each other together the big learning was when three of them guys three of my mates went on to open prisons i got released that the emerging leaders so they became leaders in the group in a good way because even leadership or leader in a prison setting is actually a horrible a terrible word yeah we couldn't even say leader at that stage you know they were like oh, i don't want to be a leader we're like no 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 let's call it a toilet leader you know that you're not doing this to go to show off or to to control anybody you're doing this that you can help others that you're on a direction you're going the same direction and you're dragging people along with you so 
three of them went and the emerging leaders weren't ready to step up so it kind of fell off a little bit so that was me going light bulb moment okay that's what we're missing we need to develop a leadership program so we developed the Titleish leadership program and that was in the unfucked movement and it's called unfucked because we all said you know what we were sitting down doing a talk one day everybody has a, a, a part of their life that's a bit fucked whether you're in prison or not we're all a little bit fucked and life should be about unfucking it <laughs> you know so they came up with that and they had three C's and the three C's it's spelled U-N-F-U-C-C-C-K-E-D and the three C's stand for change, culture, community so they were the three key uh, parts of the uh, of the program like we're going to change ourselves we're going to change the culture in the prison we're going to change we're going to try impact the culture when we get out and we're going to try impact our communities by being leaders and using their stories to, to help those young kids or the next generation not do what we've done. So that was the whole objective. So it's not only from a prison point of view, but from when they get out, that they continue to do that. And and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey so far. Like, But the problem is, um, it's always, it can be always challenged. Like for example, the, the, the governor that I've been working with uh, Eddie Mullins he's now moved on to Midlands just before the lockdown he moved on to Midlands prison and a new governor has come in so I'm not sure what's happening Like, so we can't go into prisons now uh, well I went into Midlands to do video workouts and sit in a cell so that they could do uh, exercise that's your man Eddie Mullins the governor thinking outside the box again but I, I've only met the new governor so I'm not sure how progressive he's going to be towards what I'm doing but we've been in there three years now so if it's to stop it'll be it'll be frustrating like for these guys that are, have come a long way you know I can see how passionate you are and all credit to, to Eddie for approaching you in the first place but after a loss because uh, you're, you're a competitor so like if you <laughs> and if most of us are sore losers um, and like stepping up in front of people or talking to people in general but to go into a prison setting and then seeing five of your mates because your mates are going to tell you how honest and they'll tell you the honest thing if it was crap they'll tell you yeah they will definitely um so all credit to you and i fingers crossed that continues when this is this is all over um i'm definitely going to reach out to, to brian after this and i yeah, appreciate man. that um i think the big thing for what's going on at the minute is like there's no sports on for anyone at the minute and everyone is kind of like losing I know like the Bundesliga and all that kind of stuff is meant to be starting next week and there's there's the discussions all the time over in England about football and stuff like that like how are you finding it as an athlete how to manage your time how like what is the hardest thing for you to come out of it and how are you any advice to to any sports people or any GAA players at the minute kind of struggling yeah so what am I doing at the minute for time like I suppose it's, it's at the, at the beginning it was quite bonkers because as I said I was doing the staff I was doing all the staff's jobs and I'm very fortunate that they've actually they've come come back to me and said look Philly we've seen what you're doing we'll give you a dig out um, so they're starting to they're, they're starting to take on jobs as well which has been excellent that's given me that bit of space because I was again about 6 in the morning and my last class like 6 and then class at 7 class at 10 class at 7 class at 8 and then you're doing the live, I do a live workout generally two to three times a week um, called the BD7 Fitness Friends. And it's basically getting kind of influencers, uh, sports people on and doing a live workout challenge like a Top Gear, fast track type thing. Um, and you're just wrecked. You're just absolutely wrecked. So that's being tough. But again, it's that opportunity thing. It's in your back of your mind going, this will eventually, there'll be something good that'll come from this. So again going back to all the things that I've developed in life you know going back and repeat, repeat me leaving cert going and doing my degree in DCU like I was making a lot of money doing my degree but like, there was a point where I was like why do I need this degree I'm making loads of money in my gym why do I need to do this but that perseverance I knew would one day come back to help me like you know that piece of paper that had an effect on family members had an effect on friends going off and going to college because in many ways once you, you pave that way, there's always a pathway for somebody else to follow. Like So for me, 
that perseverance is key. So all the, the sessions I've done in the lockdown, I'm hoping that I'll see the benefits of that, like, you know. Um, so for anybody that's a sports athlete or anybody that's thinking, oh, this is tough and this, you know, you have the opportunity and the choice to basically take the benefits of this at the end of it. So do what you can for what your future, you know, do what, you know, with that saying of um, do something now that's going to help your future self, like, you know, so that's the key thing for me. But in terms of time and balance, um, it's a simple thing. Like I just write down the day before. So more of, at the end of the day, um, I'm sitting down in the evening and everything is done. Write down the things that I'm going to achieve tomorrow, you know, and go after them things. Like you wouldn't believe. I'll give you an example for one of my days, right? So one second, I'll just get up my diary. So Tuesday. So, I had a meet a business meeting at eight in the morning. Um, I had, I went then at ten o'clock. I done some core and uh, mobility. I'm working on a new social program. So, I'll go into that now in a second. But I'm working on a new social pro a research program for uh, more prevention or intervention for 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 schools. Um, I went dummy running at twelve o'clock. Um, I played a saxophone so I played the saxophone at 1 o'clock um, I done an interview at Max Sport at 2 o'clock I went for a walk with my dogs and my wife at uh, 3 o'clock I done a workout at 5 o'clock I done yoga at 6 o'clock and I had two football teams on two Zoom workouts at 7 and 8 o'clock that's my day now people go that's crazy like what are you I love that like, look what I've done throughout that day. Like, I love being able to look at that day and go, I achieved a lot that day. That's living, you know. Don't be sport, exercise, spend time with your wife, um, you know, hobbies, the social aspect. I've, I've ticked all the components of my life. So if you can do that, that will make you feel alive. I'd rather do that than sit four or five hours in front of the telly. You know, that's living for me. Like, um, And if you struggle with that balance... There's a thing called a default diary, which is I'd recommend everybody to do. It's it's again I learned it through actually business coaching. You have your it's like a roster, Monday to Sunday. You have your times from when you wake up to when you fall asleep, um, and I actually put it in for the whole duration of your 24 hours, like so that you can actually see how much you're sleeping, and then basically you just put it in half an hour slots, right? So let's say I'm on a podcast for this hour, I put that in. You know, that's a component of, let's say I put that as a business, you know, when you're speaking to people, you're networking, that's business. Or if I go on a run today, that's in a sport. So I'll color code them. So business will be yellow, sport will be blue, spending time with family will be red, uh, hobbies could be pink. And then basically you just put all them times in for the whole week and you look, you step back and you say, right, okay, I've too much yellow there. Spending too much time at work. Some people, there's things that you just can't control. It's out of your control, you know, that you work nine to five. But you can step back and go, okay, do you know what? There's not enough red there. I didn't spend enough time with my family. Next week, I'm going to get more red into that. Or next week, I'm going to get more blue into it. Or maybe it's brown, which is your sleep, and you just need to add more sleep into your day. But it's really good from a visual point of view that you can see where you're balanced and where you're not balanced. Yeah, and that it, I think the big thing that came when you started talking about it, about kind of planning out the day. I think there's a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and the big thing it's a. Have you read it? No, but I, I I've read a bit read on a bit on Viktor Frankl. Yeah. Um. So if anyone who hasn't read it, it's only 150 pages, so it's not a massive book. But he was uh, he was a. Uh, What's it called? Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl so he was captured he was a psychologist over in uh, in Germany or in Austria and he was captured by the Nazis and put into the concentration camp he managed to come out of the concentration camp and his whole thing is you choose your suffering so yeah. I think it's like I started reading that I think the day we came into lockdown and it was one of those books that kind of hits you at the right time and I was like you can either choose to be a busy fool like what you've said there you have your business hours your personal time your your mobility and your your sports time or else you can choose to kind of sit there there's nothing wrong with kind of sitting there if that's what you want to do but if it's yeah. not what you want to do and you're feeling crap after it 
why not choose to try and get either active or try to journal, which I'm a huge advocate of, um, yeah. or try to kind of st take a step back and try to plan out your day a little bit more. And that's one thing I'm working big time with the clients is because a lot of them have never worked from home before. A lot of them have kids running around like a headless chicken running into walls. Try to get the kids involved. Yeah. If you're going for a walk, bring the dog and the kids for a walk. Or if you're doing like some of the Zoom classes I'm doing, the kids are getting involved in it. Yeah, same here. And it tires yeah. them out. Yeah. Or else yeah. if you're doing like, the cooking and stuff as well. Well, that, that's it again. Like Victor Franklin, like is um, that's actually what my book was. Like, that's where I got the name of the book from, The Choice, because um, he talks about white space. It's the choice between a reaction and, and um, uh, sorry, yeah, reacting or responding and that little thought in between is called your white space so in, instead of people thinking that you know in, in the concentration camps that they were going to eventually be free he was living in the moment in the present and dealing with that so that's where the choice came from uh, and that's what I the power of choice is kind of one of those philosophies that I've definitely incorporated into my way of living like you know the power of choice that when you wake up in the morning and, and you Generally, you physically you'll assess how you feel. Like if you train the night before, you're sore, you're tired. But we don't really psychologically assess where we are or how we are feeling. Like you know, and that's what I do a lot when I put my feet in the ground. That's my kind of trigger. Getting out of bed to kind of go right. Physically, how do I feel? Mentally, how do I feel? What do I need to do today? Then you know, and my power of choice, my trigger is actually it's just strange when I go into a mirror and laugh, a smile for five seconds and it releases dopamine in my brain and it kickstarts my day that one choice kickstarts my whole day I'll have a better breakfast I'll be in better form if I had kids I'm sure it'll have an effect on how I play with my kids how I engage with my kids but for those that are struggling with little things like that it kind of goes back to that opportunity thing like in 20 or 30 years time your kids are going to remember what you did in that time what did you do in that lockdown and how has that impacted the love that your kid has developed for you? Because me, firsthand, I've experienced losing a parent in my father, and that would have been him. He would have been the, he would have always had the crack of me. You know, it's just, he instilled values in me that I hope I take into my parenting that, you know, it, it was just, I would have loved to be alive today because I, I'd say, during this lockdown, it'd be all about humour, it'd be all about fun. Even my even my uh, nieces and nephews, they just he was just brilliant with kids, like, you know. So there's the opportunity, like to any parents that are listening in, like, you know, you have an opportunity to spend good quality time with your kids. Don't waste it by taking old kind of bad values that we all get. From our, from our parents that they've got from their parents that you go Jesus some days you go oh, I sound like my mom there I sound like my dad you know let's not be that let's be someone and maybe maybe that's a good thing you can but I do think a lot of the ne negative subconscious minds that we create comes from our parenting comes from years and years and generations of uh, of this being passed down to us I love the, the book um, The Green Platform by Declan Coyle you got to get it. It's very good. Um, he, uh, he has a story in the book about a parent got, uh, comes in with the groceries. I probably won't do it justice in terms of telling the story, but I'll try to tell it as best I can. He put, the parent comes in and has groceries, and the kid thinks she's going to do something good by helping put the groceries away. And she, she goes to, goes off to the parents and says, Mommy, you're going to help me put the groceries away. She says, All right, great, great. So she goes to pick up a certain grocery. What do you think that grocery is going to be? No what do you idea. not want? What do you not want the kid to pick up? Some sweets. Well, yeah, I don't know. What do you not want the kid to pick up in a grocery sh shopping? I've no idea. Eggs. Oh, God. And then the kid picks up the eggs. And what does the parent generally say? To put them back. Or don't break them. Yeah. Or don't let them fall, and the kid lets them fall, and then what does the parent say? I told you so. So basically, the kid has been like 
completely transformed in terms of going, I'm doing something good here, but now I'm being hammered. You know? Like, I love... There was a guy that... Um, there's a guy who had a video up on Instagram the other day, and his kid... Two baby, one baby and one infant, and the kid had talking power. Had there was talking power beside the baby, and the kid grabbed the talking power and just went mad with it. And he walked in and he's sitting on the chair and he's like, "Did you mess with that talking power?" And he's like, "Oh, I tried to, I tried to clean it up." I was like, "Yeah, but did you mess?" I tried, and he just had a fun. He had fun with the kid. Like that's that's smart parenting for me because the kid, like, yeah, there's a learning to it. There's definitely a learning to it, but that kid probably won't take that negativity on in life. You know, that negative... Co- like, saying to a kid, don't drop the eggs. Obviously, the kid's going to drop the eggs. You don't say don't, because that negative subconscious mind doesn't register the ne- negative words. Don't take it a pink elephant. You thought of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't doesn't register in that subconscious mind. So, I think as parents, there's an opportunity in this. Like, there really is. And, again, over time... You mightn't recognise it now. 20, 30 years, you know, when you're older and you need support of your kids when you're in lockdown, as in in a nursery home, that's when this love comes back to you, I think. Or when you pass, you know, you know, the negative emotions we feel from losing loved ones is love. That's love. That's And sometimes, even if you don't have a good relationship with a loved one that's passed, there's still that there, that connection. But even more so when you've had a good relationship with somebody, when they pass, that's all about their memories, their negative emotions is all love. Yeah, I, I think that's an amazing sentiment. I think it is important. I heard an interview recently with Joe Wicks, who is the king of the boot camps. Uh, he, he has kids, he has very young kids. And what he tries to do is he takes a big deep breath in before he kind of talks to his kids if they have done something that may have been bold or naughty or whatever, he takes a big deep breath in because uh, he had, he had, he's so open about his own issues with his own p- parents and stuff like that. And that's how he, he doesn't want to kind of talk to his kids the way he was talked to supposedly. Um, yeah. And I think that is important um, to kind of realize that. And the, the, the whole thing about you kind of laughing at yourself in the mirror, that's a pause. That's a thing that came up from Shane Finn who did 36 miles in 36 days and 24 and then, ran across America and he, he does, he has maybe two or three negative comments to himself in the mirror and then has to back it up with three positive comments every single day. And it's, it just gets his mindset that way. It's something very subtle, takes less than two minutes. Yeah. But when people are saying they haven't got enough time, you're telling me in 24 hours you can't spare 120 seconds. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's mad how, how people prioritize different things and hopefully we prioritize different things when this when this is all over um in relation to kind of a lot of people are kind of struggling for a lot of motivation at the minute um i don't really like the word motivation i think it's a buzzword but how do you yourself like you, you train most of the year uh, all year round and the sessions in dark october november december how do you kind of get yourself up for sessions and push yourself through sessions you actually don't want to do? Because I think that's what a lot of people are struggling with at the minute is there's the two extremes. There's the people who are going gung-ho and there's the people who are obviously watching Netflix and stuff. I suppose it's very important to realise that um, everybody has different focuses in life, like, you know, and, you know, without any, like, without pain and suffering, nothing, it's not really like the things worth in life have always got pain and suffering towards it like you know um, and I think it's important that there's a few, few key points I can give you on this right the first thing is that pain and suffering is inevitable okay we should not shy away from it and we should we should battle it and we, not battle it but we should look look to challenge it head on okay so for example if somebody wants to lose weight, they look in the mirror and they feel uncomfortable with their body, their body shape. They're the emotions. It's not really, they don't look in the mirror and say, I'm 40 kg or 50 kg or 60 kg. They don't look at that. They feel the same way. And that's being obviously, that's being developed by obviously external factors. Friends looking a certain way, TV, magazines, all that consumer culture. But ultimately, that person 
has these emotions built up based on their image. And the next step then is they have a certain vision that they want to look like. So they go and they go through that pain and suffering. They join a gym, they use the resources, uh, they ask for help uh, in terms of a gym instructor or a gym. And then eventually they start to get results. Now what happens then is complacency seeks in. And because we're creatures of habit, we go back to the old way. And the reason we go back to the old way is that we're not emotionally connected enough. Right? So we're not we're not emotionally connected enough. So I'll give you another example. If that person was told, if you don't lose weight, you're going to die, they would definitely do it. Okay? Because they're emotionally connected. Now, the problem is, we have so many things in life that we'll say, if you take drugs, you're gonna, you're eventually gonna die. If you eat bad food, you're eventually gonna die. You know, your heart diseases, um, you may be a diabetes, or you might be pick up cancer along the way, and you're gonna die. Okay, we know these things are happen, right? Um, but yeah, we live as human beings, we live a very reactive lifestyle. Okay, we've allowed all these external factors feed in to make us become who we are. And everybody, I'm talking about me as well, like I'm not just pointing a finger. Everybody allows external factors to feed in on who they are. And basically what you need to do is focus on those that are going to give you your good life, your good life, what your life looks like in terms of good. And your energy needs to focus, your emotions need to focus on those energies. And that's the key. The problem is our focus is completely scattered at the minute. It's, it's, it's completely, it's too broad. And we need to kind of go, right, if I want to do this certain thing, well, that's where I should focus my energy on, emotionally, right? So um, I think that's, that's, that's the key thing, that we just, the stuff that we give a shit about, we need to hold on to. And the stuff that we don't give a shit about, get rid of. That's as simple as I can put it. So if you, uh, it, Another book to read is um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Great read book. That? Great oh, book. Excellent, excellent book. Highly recommend it. And I love the part where it's basically like you've only a certain amount of fucks to give and you need those for when they really matter. You know, so if we keep worrying about all these other little things and something comes along along the line like a family member gets really ill or you need to pay for something, teams and medical bills or whatever it may be, you need to have you need to be ready to give that that worry needs to be used on that and that's that's meaningful a meaningful worry instead of all these i think it's what 50 50 percent of the worries that we have don't really come true yeah and anxiety not, is the fear of something that's not going to happen or hasn't happened yet and yeah. like within that book that you're talking about so lord i'm not giving a fuck if it's not a fuck yeah don't do it and that's i've I've changed that mindset in probably the last 18 months like if, it, if it's not going to benefit me i would like that's being selfish but if it isn't going to like we can all be busy fools and before lockdown it was it was mental um and there's another book called essentialism which is really really good and that kind of makes sure like that your priorities put them into different labels as you've said which is the family the friends all that kind of stuff so there's, there's definitely little lessons you can get from any books and atomic habits if people are wanting to change in habits yeah. that's yeah. i've literally just finished that um and that's really really good breaks it down very very simple english which and it, it i probably finished in about five days and it was it was one of those books you can't put down um in relation to when matches and stuff like that are kind of coming back on your own kind of pre-match routine are you one of those players that kind of has the music blare and a bit of hard rock or are you kind of or how's your like are you kind of setting your routine or does it vary with kind of food sleep music or anything like that hey, do i have a ritual yeah like i mean the day before the day of the match um i'd get up and have me breakfast don't do anything really. The only the only ritual I have actually is I go up to the graveyard to visit my brother and my dad, and I just go up there and say a few words. And I suppose that kind of gives me that little bit of a motivation to enjoy the day, you know. And you talk about there, you know, about being selfish. Everything in life is selfish. Everything you do in life is selfish. Like you know, you can't like even let's say if I do stuff for for a charitable purpose. 
I'm gaining something from that. Yeah. You know, that's that's like you know, and, you, and again, like you look at living in itself as a selfish thing, like, you know, you gotta be you gotta you gotta be selfish. Like I think we've just put a negative spin off to selfishness, like, you know. Um it can be good. It can be good. Like we can be selfless in a selfish way. <laughs> you know, like I look at people in my family that's passed and I'm kind of like for years I'm gonna be selfish and I'm gonna live life. For years I'm gonna do that. You know, I'm gonna achieve things, you know, because I know that's what you want me to do. So um so being able to go up and visit visit the graveyard and, and I suppose look at the opportunity I've been given in life in terms of being still on this planet and being able to run around a football pitch, be able to put on a Dublin jersey. Just that gratitude piece is is, uh, is very important to me, like you know, and um, that's really the only ritual I'd have. And then I'd go into we'd go in, we meet in the hotel before the game, and um, some lads get rubs, some lads play the PlayStation, some lads just chill out, read books, watch the telly or whatever it is, um, and then we get to the Crow Park, and I have I'm actually big into dance music, like I, I actually love all music. Um, probably rock is not the one I would listen to like I'm not a big rocker um, but I'd listen to a lot of music and um, yeah I'd probably start off with kind of chill house music and then I'd kind of get as we get closer to Crow Park in the change room the music kind of tempo goes up a little bit but controllable I don't want to go out and run run around because of I'm too It's that that's key as well getting the getting a level kind of um, energy up is very key and do, do, do the Dublin lads work much on kind of the mindset stuff? Like, do they get people to come in and talk to them? Was I know like the obviously the Irish rugby team and stuff? They had the likes of Bono and other people have come in when they're in camps and stuff like that. Do you guys get people to come in and talk to you guys, or do you guys do the mindset stuff with a coach? Yeah, I think everybody does. I think everybody gets people in to talk, um, and that's the good thing about GAA. It's it's a it's a really good growth mindset culture. You know, you're trying to learn off different sports, different uh, people, and um, yeah, I worked in, in the soccer world a good bit, and, and it's something probably they need to work on a little bit more of. Like, you know, they've they've got coaches and managers that have spent huge amounts of money and time on getting their badges and stuff like that, and sometimes they find it hard to reach outside of that circle. Um, but in terms of GAA, we do that a lot, like you know, and it's not so you got every other county team would do it, like. So we would do that, yeah. Yeah, and no, I think I think I think from I think the the football thing, uh, from working with kind of smaller teams and stuff like that, they they are probably missing a trick on that side of things. I know you're working with a high profile Irish team, um. So, yeah, no, and you you wrote a book. We spoke about the choice and kind of getting. It's funny that we both mentioned Victor Frankel. Um, how did the kind of the book come about, and how did you find the whole process? Well, when I spoke about John's addiction in uh, 2000, and, and obviously that he passed kind of a 2015, it came out because I was marking a guy and he called me brother junkie, and that he died from a drug, drug overdose, and I kind of just, it came out of my mouth in an interview after the game, um, and I just got a huge response from it, it was an unbelievable response, it was the day that I realised I had a purpose in life to, to use the sporting profile to help especially drug addicts or people that are struggling in that area. And I didn't know at that stage that I wasn't heavily educated on addiction at that stage. And when I went off and educated myself, I realized as a society, we've so much more we can do to help people like this that struggle, um, that they're very vulnerable, vulnerable people and that it can be any household, regardless of what social class you're from. Um, so basically then I was being asked to do a lot of talks and I couldn't get to them all. Like I wanted to get to them and, help and use my story to help others but I just couldn't like uh, business was starting to struggle because I wasn't there enough and I wasn't focusing on it uh, um, so what I did was I said look I'm going to write a book and just that, that'll be a way of people actually hearing the story without turning people down and um, and it's been incredible like it's been it's I never wanted to do a sports book I had a couple of companies on to me asking to do sports books and was like no and then this then Gail came along and they said like we want to do a book as you know you know you're a sports person but we want to do a book about about your choices and about John's choices and that's kind of where it 
It's incredible. It's incredible. So, it's incredible. I've, I've, like I. I before he came on and stuff like that, I was doing research and I saw some of the the profile pics of people holding the book. Uh, yeah. As far as like Portuguese footballers and stuff like that, it was it was uh, it was mad. Uh, Philly, I cannot thank you enough for for your giving up so much of your time and having such an open chat. Um, where can people find out about yourself, about the gym, um, about any of the classes that you're going you're running as well? Yeah, like um, so any social media platform, um, B Two Seven Dublin. In, on Instagram, B to Seven Dublin on, on Facebook, um, or obviously my personal profile is Philly McMahon on, on, on Facebook or Instagram, and uh, and also then we have another page that's set up for anybody that's struggling uh, financially in terms of fitness. With the it's called Seven Club by Philly McMahon. It's fifteen euro a month, so it's only like forty eight cent a day. Um, if you're struggling to pay for membership, or you know, you want to uh, just get going. You know, you want to start your home workouts to eventually get yourself into a gym locally where you are. This is a good tool for you. Um, and also for anybody that's a healthcare staff um, that's working on the front line, it's free. So you can join the Seven Club by Philly McMahon. That's awesome. So thank you so much. If Guys, if you've enjoyed the podcast at all, please do tag Philly and I up on your story. Uh, it's available up on iTunes and Spotify. So leave a review up on iTunes. Thank you so much for Philly for being so no open and giving up so, so much of your time. No problem, pal. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.